Hello and welcome to another podcast of uh, Father and Joe. I am Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, I wanted to have a, a discussion that kind of is something that I know I was taught from the, the beginning of my life. And we did the, we got a bunch of questions from a seminary that high school kids were asking. And I see it manifest itself in different ways throughout our, our culture. And it's basically, is hell really a thing? How do we know who goes there? Why do you go there? And can it really be as bad as anyone, everyone says it is, even if it is a thing? So those are the kinds of questions that in different ways are permeating throughout society at large. Um, you know, and I wanted to, to kind of address that because we see so many different elements of, well, I don't really need to be truthful because there's no consequences. I can get away with it. So it's okay. I don't need to do this, that, or the other because it's not going to help me. So why should I do it? And we'd see this come around again in, in various different ways And we also see the someone messed up, we need to burn them or cancel them, as they say now, without any due process or anything else. Now, that might be a a step in in a different direction that I'm trying to make something something it's not. But nonetheless, you see these different, different examples coming up throughout life. And I wanted to, uh, to just basically have a conversation about it. You know, we're it's everywhere. So let, let, let's dive into the heart of the issue. And from the, the faith-based standpoint, it would be essentially the topic of hell. So I give you the, the floor there and we'll see where it goes. Yeah. So at a, a very simple level, hell exists because human freedom is real. We have the right to go to hell. God will not resist us if we choose to go to hell. In other words, uh, if we don't want to spend eternity with God, if we want to reject him definitively and forever, he gives us the freedom to do that. So it's a, a validation and a protection of our genuine freedom. Human beings have the freedom even to definitively reject God, as some angels have done angels whom we call demons, because when given a choice, they chose to rebel against God, to definitively reject him. And so they are living in a state of damnation uh, apart from him forever. So hell is a a guarantee. It's in in that sense, a theological concept, uh, or it's a theological, uh, it has a theological value, I should say. Uh, It's a real, hell is real. But it has a theological value in acknowledging the protection of our freedom, that God gives us real freedom. So what is hell? I mean, and then a lot of these things get into a little bit fuzzier categories because the church doesn't teach some of the details. The church teaches what I just said. And ultimately, hell is a separation from God. It's choosing to live apart from him which is choosing to live apart from goodness, because God is goodness. God is the source of all goodness. God is goodness itself. And so when we live in a state of rejecting 
goodness definitively and totally, then what does that look like? I mean, it means that our lives are filled with evil, with the absence of goodness and a total uh, lack of of human goods, uh, a total deprivation of all that is true and beautiful and good. Uh, goodness is ultimately the source of our joy. Joy comes from the possession of the good. Uh, goodness is the hope of goodness is the source of our hope. Uh, goodness that's uh, achieved is, is an arduous good, hard to achieve. So with no hope and with no joy forever, that's what we call hell. Now, the deprivation of every good, so sensory goods, uh, we don't, you know, we enjoy sensory goods like things that taste good and things that feel good, even things that don't feel at all, uh, like the fact that your body is not normally totally in pain. It's one of the reasons that the flu is kind of a drag because somehow you realize that there are nerves in your body that you didn't realize were there before when you have the achy feeling of the flu or of a variety of other much worse diseases that we can experience, things like bone cancer, where there's a pain rising up from our bones, pain that we're not used to having. So the deprivation of our bodies feeling like they should, feeling relatively comfortable, uh, if you deprive us of every good, that's a pretty painful place, <laughs> to say it mildly. So you imagine every kind of sensory deprivation. You imagine every kind of emotional deprivation. You imagine every kind of relational deprivation where there is simply no good. That's a description of hell. And, and that's our free choice. That's our right to choose to go there. And we do that by systematically destroying or rejecting human goods. Uh, by focusing only on our own good and rejecting and destroying the goods of others, ultimately, you could say it catches up with us and we reap what we sow. We isolate ourselves from everybody and we end up spending eternal, eternity isolated. We destroy the human goods of others and so we ultimately end up destroying our own human goods as well. Um, and so that's that's kind of the the development of it. I'm I'm specifically not talking about things like a judgment and a trial, although that's a reality, but showing it as a natural and organic development of the choices that we're making in this life. If I'm if I'm basically striving for the good, uh, I'm I'm making some mistakes, I'm I'm turning back, I'm reconciling, I'm uh, trying to work through my own woundedness. Out of my own weakness, I'm falling, I'm struggling, but I'm on the path of goodness and holiness. Well, that's one thing. When I really commit myself to malevolence, when I really commit myself to the suffering of others, the deprivation of others, the disregard of others, when I really set myself against God to reject him who is the source of all good, that's when I start to create a path for myself that leads to hell. Its ultimate destination, its, its supernatural end is, uh, is hell. And so, so anyway, yes, hell is real. Hopefully I've given a little bit of a description of it and a little sense of uh, what it means to go one place as opposed to the other place. And uh, just throw that back to you, Joe. 
Sure, and you can kind of see it in in the natural world. So your starting point there was it's a result of freedom and that in a weird way, so we have the right to go there, which is what the ultimate form of freedom is. Most people wouldn't think of it like that. And we can see it in, in, in examples. So we've all been to some type of, of establishment where they weren't treating people correctly. It seemed like it was just a scam to, to, to get something from you without doing what, what they promised. And, most of us would just have the instinct of, well, I'm just never going to go back there again. Um, it's some of us would try to reform it, uh, but most of us would just try to uh, avoid it. And that brings up then the, the, the question, um, as just a, a, a regular person realizing that this individual establishment was wrong and or crooked or corrupt, whatever you want to call it. Is there a duty to go and try to fix it or is simply avoiding it acceptable? So in, in the contents of, of the faith world, seeing something that's wrong out there is simply not participating in the wrong acceptable or do we have the moral imperative to go in and attack that wrong head on? Well, it depends on our level of association with it. If I see some wrong in uh, Donald Trump's family, uh, I don't know that it's my moral responsibility to try and tackle the wrong that he has. I'm not picking on him, it just to a character that I have no personal interaction with, sure. a company that I have no personal interaction with. I, you know, there are, there are levels of responsibility for things. So we're not responsible for fixing every wrong in the world single-handedly. Um, but insofar as one is involved in something, so you being involved in business affairs, you're involved in business affairs uh, with different companies and you have a couple of layers of recourse. Now, the way that some boss treats his employees, maybe you're observing that. You don't have the inside story. Uh, maybe you have a relationship with that boss and you can say something to him. That's certainly good. Fighting against injustice at any level is good. In terms of how much intervention you're going to take, in terms of how much authority you have to do anything, well, that's going to be depends. You might decide based on what you see, you don't want to do business with that person. And that's one way that you can exercise a, a proper authority in order to make some impact. Um, likewise, there are a lot of things that our government does that we don't have a lot of control over. We can cast a vote, we can raise an objection, we can sign a petition, and we should do all of those things, really. Uh, we have a representative government, so we have some responsibility for what the government is doing. There's some limited capacities to do too much about it, but anyway, we can take the steps that we're able to take. Um, so we should confront injustice wherever we can. We should confront evil, and we should cultivate human goods for ourselves and for others as much as we can. So there's obviously a line there somewhere, and... I, I guess what I was trying to do was, was to, to clarify that a little bit. Um, I, I understand what you're saying is, is the extremes are easy, you know, 
I, I'm never going to come in contact with this person. So therefore just not promoting the bad things that are going on there is good. But this person is kind of uh, an arm length away. It's not my kids. Like I can't, they're not living under my roof. I, I'm not seeing them every day. Um, you know, I, I guess that that's kind of what, where is the line? Is it even definable? Um, you'd have to have terms with which to define it as part of the problem. So, uh, yeah, it's, there's going to be a lot of room for prudential judgment in that. Um, and, and there are, I suppose, some competing goods. I haven't fully thought through this, so I'm sure if I had a chance to, some more things would emerge. But there'd be some competing goods. I mean, a family, you know, kids that aren't your own. Um, are under the authority of their own parents who have a responsibility for them, but also a right to some level of privacy in the sense that they have the right to govern their own household. They have the right not to have the state on the one hand or nosy neighbors on the other hand interfering with their private affairs. Uh, so they have some rights that need to be respected. Violating those rights would be creating a different evil. Mm -hmm. um, allowing children to go crazy uh, allows a different evil. So there has to be some some balancing of, uh, you know, there has to be a proportionate good to justify accepting a certain side effect or taking a certain action. And uh, again, certainly where there are direct lines of authority, we need to take more direct responsibility. And you can see one of the themes that we've brought up in the last month or so, might have been more of an undercurrent, is that our faith is incredibly practical at the end of the day. And you can see that ultimately these decisions of what you just said is effectively how society is, sh is shaped. You know, the, the difference of how you hear people say, oh, I wouldn't have accepted this back in the day, back in my day. I don't get how you kids allow this. And conversations like that about how it, it, it changes. And... That's part of why I like having these types of conversations because the faith is incredibly practical. Part of the mission of this podcast is to bring people closer to the faith and in doing so to God and the Holy Spirit, which will take things towards the good. So we know ultimately from, from the beginning of this cast that hell is real and it's a choice that we can make. And we choose that by denying good, essentially, by, by denying love, as, as we've discussed many times that God is love. So we get into this, this question, as I was saying with the lines, and you brought up the, the truth. If you don't know what you're talking about by defining the terms, how can you adequately compare or judge it? And I guess that leads into the question that is then we're told that we're going to be judged, but we don't know the, the terms. And in some people that's going to create fear and anxiety. You know, I'm going to get a test and I don't know what's going to be on the test. Um, you know, you, you're in a college setting. So you see that a lot more often than the most. I just remember what it was like for me going through that. And, I, I felt like this would be a, a good chance to kind of touch on that a little bit. Um, I don't know how deeply the church has discussed it. I don't think that they know, you know, 
the teacher's questions before they ask them and they're holding them, holding them back. But if we could have a conversation about what the church teaches about what the judgment would be um, and, and why it exists. I think, uh, I think with St. John of the Cross, you said in the end, we would be judged on love. And I think that's the simple answer to the question is uh, how well have you loved uh, but that starts with how how well have you let God love you? Uh, and I think that's a useful starting point. Have you let yourself be loved? Have you let God love you? And do you have a relationship with him? Because ultimately eternity, heaven is a relationship with God. Hell is the lack of a relationship with God. Hell is refusing to have a relationship with God. And so... Uh, do you have a relationship with God? Have you let him love you? That's the first step in that relationship. He loves us first. And so it's a matter of accepting his love. It's not based on what we do. It's not based on our achievements. It's not based on earning his love. We let him love us because he loves us. He created us good uh, at the core of our being, and he loves us, period. So have you let him love you? And then when we do let him love us, it's naturally the consequence, just like when you plant a seed and you water it, it grows. Uh, when you water a human soul with divine love, it produces the fruits of love. And so we can sort of see how much love are we receiving based on how much love are we giving. And so we can measure that to a certain extent. Uh, do our lives bear forth the fruit of love? And and again, rather than having this sense of an exam or questions on an exam, as if uh, like Monty Python's The Quest of the Holy Grail, you know, the 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 uh, bridge keeper is going to say, "What's your favorite color?" or you know, "What's the airspeed velocity of a swallow?" or uh, you know, these kinds of crazy things. I mean, that's that's uh, I don't know. maybe maybe I could be extreme and say it's offensive even to think of that. As most of the things in that movie, hilarious as they are are actually offensive and blasphemous. But, but God is not uh, giving us an exam. He's not holding out on us. He is inviting us into a love relationship that starts right now. Right now. And if we reject that love relationship our whole lives, if we, re if we close our hearts to love our whole lives, then what is that? It's going to be more violent for us to wrench us into and force us into a love relationship. It's more respectful of our freedom to let us be in our own isolation, in our own self-reliance, and, and to just basically worship ourselves for all eternity. And that's a pretty miserable existence. But it's the existence that we've chosen for ourselves. So one place where it talks about the last judgment, Jesus says that the son of man will separate the sheep from the goats. And he'll say to some, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was a stranger and you visited me. I was in prison and you visited me. And the righteous will say, when did we do these things, Lord? And he says, whatever you did for the least of my brothers, you did it for me. It's a measure of our love. And again, that love is going to flow from how much we let him love us. And so when we've entered into a love relationship with God, letting him love us and responding by loving him as well as our brothers and sisters, 
then we are preparing ourselves for heaven. Then we're already getting a taste of heaven on earth. That's a little taste of heaven. Heaven is pure love. There's only love in heaven. And so the more that we let love be the guiding principle of our lives, then the more we are already accepting heaven into our lives and the more that that transition at the end of our lives just naturally takes us from this world to the next world, from love to love. The more that we reject that, the more that we close our hearts, the more that we are bound up in ourselves, the, the more that we hurt others intentionally, the more that we destroy good intentionally, then the more we're making a hell in ourselves. And we feel that suffering already in this life, uh, but it will last forever. And, and that's the church's teaching on hell. And that makes sense. You know, if, if you're going around and, and doing wrong, wrong finds you and, and same with, with doing right. And when you were giving that description there about you can't force love. I mean, we, we all know that, you know, you, you can't make someone want to do something either you want to, or you don't. And that's an internal process you know either you're you're opening you, you want to try it or, or you don't and i guess the perplexing part of this having just thought about this as as you know growing up and all that is when you do well and you do the acts of good whether they're the explicit ones told um, by the faith or, or just common sense, natural law, doing what's right. Um, things like being honest and doing what you say you will. Your life ends up being a lot better. You're a lot less anxious. You're a lot less fearful. In general, you're more confident. I guess my general question is, why, given the choice, would you not? And... I understand the, the, you know, you're in your developmental years and the sexual rules are hard, but that doesn't change lying or any of the other basic things about doing good that the more I look around, the more and more they're slipping. And I've never really seen a justification about why. And, um, I guess that's just me spitballing out there about a, perplexity that I have, you know, knowing that both here in this world and in the next doing well and loving is better off than not. It's sorry. I'm rambling with the same question five, said five different ways about my not understanding of, of why you would choose that. Um, I don't know if you have an answer for that either, but th th that's just a thought that's kind of perplexing. Well, I think it's really important to get in touch with how often we do, in fact, choose that. I think that if we are not aware of our capacity for sin, for evil, then uh, then we don't really know ourselves. And whether it's out of fear, out of weakness, uh, or, or whether it's really intentionally pursuing uh, control, dominating others, imagining that might makes right, and that we can create a heaven for ourselves through our own uh, kingdom building and attempts to uh, dominate in whatever ways the, the people around us. 
I think we all have a pretty substantial capacity to do that. And uh, certainly there are some extreme examples in history that have gone far in that direction. We can look at a Hitler or a Stalin, but Hitler and Stalin were also responding to the crowds. They weren't just manipulating the crowds. The crowds cheer in a way that also affect the leader. The leader absorbs and becomes a, an expression of the crowds. And there's a kind of bloodlust in us. There's a part of us that likes to watch the scandalous news and to find out what the latest terrible things are that have happened. We get a little, uh, we start to salivate a little when we hear about, you know, blowing up some foreign leader or uh, that there's some fight that's going to go down. Uh, you know, entertainment wouldn't be what it is if we didn't have that kind of hunger in us. The pornography industry wouldn't be what it is if we didn't have the capacity in us to use someone for the sake of our own pleasure and effectively cause suffering to someone, locking them in a life of terrible bondage just so that we can get off on it. But we have a capacity for a tremendous amount of evil. And it's, I think it's important to look at that. I mean, it's ultimately the very uh, healthy uh, sacrament of confession in the Catholic Church is to say, like, look at the evil you have done and the evil that you could easily do if you had the opportunity and confess your brokenness, confess the distortion in your heart and receive healing there. Let love there instead of whatever those other drives are. Um, so anyway, it's a good reflection. Yeah. So, well, thank you for that. And, um, and we, again, we thank everyone out there for listening. Um, we will be with you again here next week and we will talk to you then.